This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome. Today is April the 6th of 2023. My name is John Dunn, and it is time for a fresh episode of the Best Friends Podcast. Now, it's hard to believe it's April already, but it is, and it's the first week of April, which means registration for the 2023 Best Friends National Conference is now open. I will be heading to the conference again this year, and I hope to be able to meet all of you. It's in Houston, Texas, August 10th through the 12th. Don't worry, we'll be inside for most of it. Best Friends Network partners, check your email because we sent one out this week that has a discount code for you to use. If you are a partner but you didn't get that email with the code, email me, podcast at bestfriends.org. We will make sure you get what you need. If you're not a partner but you want to come to the conference, of course you can come. Please come to the conference. And in fact, you have your very own discount because you are a listener of the Best Friends podcast. The link to register is in the show notes. You can also just go to bestfriends.org conference. If you're not a network partner, use the code podcast. That'll give you a few bucks off your registration. Again, during the registration process, there's a moment you can enter a discount code. It is the word podcast. I hope to see all of you there. And if you're into it, maybe we could do like a podcast meetup or something. I don't know. Open to ideas. Feel free to send us an email, podcast at bestfriends.org. That is our email address. That, along with all of the rest of the information I just mentioned, will be in the show notes. Now, for this week's episode, I'm very excited to be able to share this conversation I had with Sharon Hawa about a brand spanking new toolkit available for free to everybody right now. Sharon, not your first time on the podcast, uh, so let me say welcome back. But for those who didn't catch your previous appearance, please tell them who you are and what you do at Best Friends. Sure. So uh, my name is Sharon Hawa, and I am the Senior Manager of Emergency Services at Best Friends. Basically, what that means is that I help both the internal organization prepare for disasters, as well as put out resources and information for the animal services industry to help them prepare for disasters, which is one of the reasons why we're here today. Talk about the emergency preparedness toolkit. So I'm really excited that we're launching this. Well, I'm also excited about it because we still need help, I think. You can't talk disasters in animal welfare without talking about Hurricane Katrina and the massive impact that one event had on best friends. I mean, it totally changed, I think, the trajectory of the future of this organization. But of course, it also impacted all of animal welfare, the way we relate to disasters, the way we think about them, uh, the way we relate to people and pets. And, you know, that pets are now considered to be part of the family in a way that the government didn't believe during that time. So I do feel like we are better on the whole at handling emergencies today. Yeah, I mean, we almost have no choice, right? Because they just keep happening. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like get with the program. But Katrina was definitely sort of the impetus for the pet piece to kind of get central focus because we saw a lot of people not wanting to evacuate because they had nowhere to go with their pets. And we just saw the issue of people really looking at pets as their family members and us, you know, in the people serving business. Um, the human services side of, of things and the animal services side of things really just not stepping up to provide those support mechanisms and support services to help people want, you know, be able to evacuate safely. 
and also just with recovery in general. I mean, sometimes disasters happen when when people are not at home. Unfortunately, you know, we've been seeing that lately with the tornadoes and and wildfires. You know, pets and people get separated, and that becomes in of itself an issue about reunification and making sure that the pets are well cared for. And I think that shelters in general have a big part to play in all of this. And so with this preparedness toolkit that Best Friends is launching this week, which we're really excited about, the first piece of it is, are you individually prepared, you and your workforce? And then the next piece of it is, is your workplace prepared? You know, how do you shore up you know, making sure that that if if it's a specific type of disaster that you know exactly what actions you need to take so that you're keeping your staff and the animals in your in your facility safe. And then when you've got that sort of taken care of, it's almost like the airplane adage, don't put the oxygen mask on somebody else first. You have to put it on yourself first before you can help others. So the next piece of this toolkit is really launching when a shelter is, you know, ticked off those two boxes, individual preparedness, workplace preparedness, how can they now play a part in helping their community prepare and recover uh, in a disaster? That's been like a big sort of missing piece across the board. I know that there are certainly lots of shelters and, and animal service industry folks that step up and step in to help support their community in a disaster. But we have to see that on a much larger scale, especially with the intensity and magnitude of these disasters. They're, they're not slowing down. They're only just getting started, unfortunately. And so, you know, we, we need all of the help that we can get. And I think plugging in the animal services industry into the emergency management side of things is really going to make a big difference. So this emergency preparedness toolkit, as you said, it launched this week. It is right now available on the Best Friends Network website. We'll have links in the show notes area of your podcast player. In the last episode, we talked to a couple of vets about the updates to the Association of Shelter Veterinarians guidelines for standards of care in animal shelters. And those guidelines looking at that document, it's like I can just feel the work that went into it. And I get very much the same feeling from this, Sharon. Really impressive stuff. You know, you and your team, you've really thought about every aspect of emergency planning. But what I think is key, and I want people to know, is that it isn't just words on a page. There are, by my count, 19 different resources for folks to use, from plan templates to job descriptions. Yeah. Like any organization can use them. Customize them, put your own logo in create your own plan. So, you know, you're not just giving people the information, but you're also giving them tools to develop their own plans, which is so great. Yeah, thank you. I you know, that it's it's almost a it's a very daunting thought that preparing for disasters like for people who don't think and breathe and eat the stuff like I do, you know, how do you even get started? So, we wanted to try and make it as easy as possible and really by by having a workbook that guides you through the different templates that you would need to just plug and play your own information into to at the end of the day, have a comprehensive plan. That's really as easy as it gets. And we tried to make it as simple and as easy to follow as possible. And I think that with the use of the QR codes, with all the different templates, I think that's going to really just help um, make it less daunting, I guess, uh, less intimidating. And the reality is that you know, there's there's not a, a foolproof solution for disasters, you know, so it's literally how much work does someone want to put into it to get, you know, a, a very comprehensive plan. Um, so we've we've done the legwork, we've put the template, the comprehensive template together. It's just now a matter of, you know, a, a shelter that's taking a look at it, 
to say, okay, well, this is my information. It goes here. And, and even the workbook walks through exactly each field and what you need to put into each field so that you get your own comprehensive, customized plan at the end of the day. And it also walks you through the different hazards or threats that your your location, your region is um, you know susceptible to. So there's a hazard analysis template that lets you rate on a scale of one to five what the likelihood is of a disaster uh, to impact your facility or even your region. And then that kind of helps you determine what you're planning for. So, you know, you you plan for a wildfire differently than you plan for a tornado. So it just kind of helps you uh, understand exactly what you're planning for and what templates you need to use um, to get the, those plans. And it might be more than one plan. So that's what this toolkit does. And we're, we're super excited and, and really hoping to kind of marry that with some mentorship coaching with shelters that really need some support in getting through this. So many different types of organizations in animal welfare. Municipal shelters, privately run organizations, nonprofits, some with contracts to provide services, some without, friends of groups, transport groups, spay neuter, foster base, all playing different roles. And, and that's the case in an emergency also. I, I believe I'm correct in saying that municipal shelters uh, and those with contracts may actually have a legal obligation to assist, to provide shelter in those moments, where other, whereas others may not. But you understand that, and the toolkit reflects that. Yeah, so this toolkit is aimed at the animal services industry, and that literally is exactly what you're talking about. It's it's shelters and rescues and vet clinics and boarding facilities and doggy daycare facilities. Literally anyone who has a hand at animal care can use this toolkit to create their own comprehensive emergency response plan or emergency preparedness plan. That's really what it's aimed at. It's not specific to shelters. It's just um, anyone who cares for animals and has volunteer potential volunteers and has staff. You know, there there are mechanisms to that address each one of those facets in in the planning process. As I said earlier, we did the guidelines episode recently. And we just kind of jumped around and talked about some different elements of it. And I think it worked okay. So if you're okay with it, I think we can just start with the essential services section and template and then go from there. Yeah. So there are different documents that help you determine ahead of a disaster because that's whole the, the key is doing all of the work ahead of a disaster, right? Because during a disaster, you're not going to start thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to put a plan together. <laughs> that's That's literally not what it's for. But an essential services document or template is basically you determining your business operation from the HR payroll to, uh, you know, to, to animal care, to volunteering, just the day-to-day -day functionality, you determining what essential means. And that's not a, you know, sort of a, a demeaning concept. It's if something is, something were to occur, what operations absolutely need to continue and what operations, what part of the business and, you know, operation side of it can be suspended, can be temporarily, you know, lessened or decreased, what needs to be increased. So you're kind of getting a sense of where you're going to need to put more resources, depending on the type of disaster that's impacting your facility. The pandemic, for instance, right? A lot of us had to really think through what we needed to kind of shift around. Um, obviously, people weren't going to be coming into the facility, so maybe intake was lessened, but animal care operations was increased. You know, so you're just kind of like figuring out due to the disaster and the circumstances that come with it, 
which essential services need additional support and which ones are you suspending or reducing or whatnot. Um, And that's really what that template does. It just walks you through. If you're in the animal services industry and you're using that template, you're kind of listing out all of your business operations and then you're determining what essential functions would absolutely need to occur and which ones would need to shift based on the disaster. So that's why we have the hazard analysis as one of the first resources that you go through. And then you start walking your working your way through the planning documents. And just to be super clear, in case we haven't been, this toolkit is any kind of disaster, like not just the ones that might pop into your head when I say the word disaster, like a hurricane, anything that is a disruption operations, basically. Yeah, absolutely. It could even mean a building fire. You know, there are shelters, you know, we, we just supported a shelter not too long ago that had a, a, a fire. So it, it was, it's literally anything, anything that causes a disruption to your day-to-day operations. That's what an emergency is. So that's, that's what these, this toolkit will help you figure out. What is that emergency for you? Or what are those emergencies for you? Because it could be more than one thing too. And it usually is. Let's talk about the evacuation plan template. Part of that includes a coordinator for the evacuation, right? You've got a task description in there. So when I was going through it, I was laughing because it made me think, uh, do you watch The Office, the TV show? Yes. British or American, I suppose, because we've got Gareth in one, Dwight in the other. Okay, everybody. This is not a test. Move to the exit. I was specifically thinking about the fire drill episode. Panic is warranted. This is not a drill. Please, move quickly. Like he and Angela are screaming at their colleagues to get out. Do you want to die? Do you want to die? Out! Stanley, have you ever seen a burn victim? Move to the exit. And I was thinking, you kind of need a Dwight Schrute. Someone who's willing and able to lead these efforts, not in his style, obviously. (laughs) Screaming at people asking if they want to die, not okay. But the point remains that while most organizations you know, won't be in a position, may not be in a position to have a full-time Sharon of their own, folks will still need to be tapped. Even if you have a Sharon, you still need to tap folks across the organization to be involved in this. These are incredibly important roles. And because it's disaster prep, we got to be on top of it, right? We got to do drills at regular intervals. We got to make sure the plans are always up to date. All of that is work, Sharon, and more work It's a difficult thing to ask of folks right now. And, uh, you know, of course, finding the right people is important. So talk me through that process, Sharon. How do I find my much more chill version of Dwight Schrute? How do I organize this in a way where it's getting done uh, and getting done correctly? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And it's going to be different for everybody. Um, You do just need that one person who finds the value and the necessity in making this happen. The good and the bad of it is that it can take as long as you want it to take to create, but the bad of it is that something can happen while you're creating it. And that's, you know, that's why if you devote, it's kind of like that long-term investment, you know, you, you put in all the work and you get that investment at the end of the day. And that's really what you want. You want somebody to be able to, and it shouldn't actually even be done by one person. It's just one person who can you know, kind of lead the charge and keep a project plan of what needs to be done next. But the information has to be coming from everybody that is part of that essential services. You know, it's like the animal care operators, the volunteer program manager, the foster program manager, you know, all of those folks are going to have an, you know, some essential information to add into those plans. 
And so you want to make sure that you're gathering that information from everybody. But does everyone need to sit down like one hour every day to create this? Absolutely not. It's literally just figuring out what it is that you need, what kind of information you need to gather from everyone based on the workbook. And the workbook does app, app, you know, actually ask you questions. So it kind of guides you through what sort of information you do need to gather. So the work's already done for you. You just need to identify who it is within your organization or your agency that you need to go to to ask those questions to get, gather that information and plug it into the template. This is a living, breathing document. So it never ends per se, like you're always going to be about 95% done because every disaster is going to throw a different type of curveball. So every event that happens, you might notice, hey, you know what, in the plan, it says this, but what we actually did, and it worked better was this. So let's update the plan. So you're, you're constantly working through, you know, how to update the plan. And even in our toolkit, we actually add a section on exercising the plan, which is really important, because that's where you can in a safe environment, gather the data of all the gaps and shortfalls that might exist that you haven't included in your plan because you didn't get to practice it. So that's really important as well. For those facilities and organizations that have already lived through disasters, and unfortunately, there are probably many listening to this podcast, but you know they, they might already know what has worked for them. And so they might have a semblance of, hey, you know what, we've done this before, we can add that information into our plan if they don't have a plan. Um, but for many of the other shelters and, and rescues and, and all of those um, animal care industry folks, they may not have experienced this. So this might be a first time going through this, thinking through this. Um, so that's going to be really important for them to exercise it at the end of the day, even maybe even exercise it, you know, on a, to a small degree once a year just to keep it fresh um, and also identify where those shortfalls are in the information so that they, they can, you know, they can continue to practice it. It's almost like a fire drill. You're practicing it. It's top of mind for you and your staff. Everybody kind of knows what roles and responsibilities they'll fall into if something were to occur. But you're also gathering information back to to better shore up your plan. But again, make sure you're not full on Dwight Schrute, right? <laughs> so I think most places today probably have some semblance of a of a emergency plan, evacuation plan, depending on where they are. Certainly those in the Gulf Coast region in Florida. But even if you have a plan, I think the toolkit is so comprehensive that the vast majority, even those who are very used to disasters, are still going to find this helpful. There may be things they may have missed that going through this process will help identify for them, but also it may help you find efficiencies, some different way of, ways of doing things. You know, my department, we just moved within the organization to a different area. So we've got new leadership and we're getting to know each other. And we realized we didn't have some basic stuff written down like a current contact list. We have an organizational one. We have each other's contact info in some cases, or at least we thought we did. But in an emergency, I'm used to getting a hold of, of so-and-so through Microsoft Teams. Microsoft Teams might not be available during that time, right? I may not have access to those types of tools. So it's just incredibly important to make sure you have even just basic stuff like that together. Right. No, that's such a good point. I mean, we get so caught up in our day-to-day. -day. You hit speed dial on your cell phone to dial people, but do you actually know their number? You know, it's like, it's that kind of thing, you know, having it written down, you know, for a disaster, there are two options. You're either going to evacuate, you're going to shelter in place, right? And so when you're evacuating, thinking about how many types of scenarios where you're going to be forced to evacuate, like a building fire, a hurricane, things of that nature, where you're actually evacuating, you are thinking about 
what do I need? What do I need to gather in those moments? But if the threat is imminent, you're not going to have time to gather those pertinent documents and, you know, your, your, your cell phone and your car keys and all you, you might actually just have to run. And so having this document and evacuation plan, and I think we alluded to talking about it a little earlier is evacuation action plan, which is part of the template, the, the toolkit it's going to be really important because it has all of that pertinent information from your staff cell phones to even the vendors that may have been scheduled to come that day, um, you know, that may need to be rerouted or rescheduled to, you know, transports that might be happening that day or tomorrow, the next day when your facility is, you know, undergoing a displacement, you know, you just, you need to like have all those numbers at the ready in this evacuation template that you would put the work into gathering and customizing would have all of that. So you're literally got you're you're grabbing it and going. It's at the foot of your door. That's what we encourage people to do is have it at the exits. You're, someone just grabs a copy of it and you go and it has all of that pertinent information so you can make all those necessary phone calls that you need to to alert people to the situation. Uh, so I attended our local TED events for a number of years, TEDx Grand Rapids. And one of the first speakers I heard probably 10 years ago now was the futurist for Ford Motor Company. It was her job to look into the future and understand how different events, factors, internal, external, how they might affect the company. An example she gave was the price of a barrel of oil, which at the time in her story was like $15 a barrel or something. So they thought, well, what would happen if it went to 25 or 40 And then just for fun, they did one that was uh, a scenario of what if, if oil went to $100 a barrel, which everyone kind of shrugged at and laughed at. And thought, what a waste of time, right? It's never going to get that high. But what if it did? What would the price of gas be? The price of goods? What would consumers be looking for? Probably more fuel-efficient cars, right? So they engaged a lot of different folks in those conversations, different departments, engineering, design, marketing. And hearing her talk about that, it really blew my mind. And of course, oil did go on to become that expensive. And just that little bit of effort and thinking about the impacts, it made the world of difference. And Ford did very well at a time when other manufacturers didn't. They weren't able to shift and meet the, that current reality of $100 a barrel. So, you know, it's hard to ask people to do more when they're already strapped, but this is truly life and death stuff. Yeah. And, you know, what we do, it ain't motor cars, right? It's it's lives of people and their pets. Yeah, it's almost like you, you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, it, it's someone bringing up a topic, if you're not living in the moment, like we're not, you know, at the beginning of COVID and you're like, we didn't think supply chain issues was going to be a result of COVID, right? Like that was going to actually impact us the way it did. You know, again, it's just one of those things where if you start to, if someone puts it in your head and you start to, you have that aha moment and you start to think about what that actually means for you specifically in your industry and in your facility, then you're going to start to see a spiraling effect of maybe potentially different other indirect or direct impacts to you. And that, again, if the timing's right and you're thinking about that ahead of a disaster, then you can look at ways to strategize and brainstorm with your team on how to solve for it ahead of time, make those partnerships happen. And that there's actually a section in the toolkit that talks about partnerships and the importance of partnerships and looking at it from the perspective of leaning on different types of industries like transport industries and 
storage facilities for extra supplies in case you need it. And, you know, looking at vet clinics, if you don't have a vet clinic or if you're, if you're evacuating and you need a vet clinic to help support some injuries on, uh, you know, with some animals that you have. And a lot of these groups already have these types of partnerships. Maybe it's about increasing the partnerships, or maybe if you think about it, if your partners that already exist are in the same vicinity of you and you're impacted by a disaster, maybe they're also impacted by a disaster and therefore you can't lean on them. So looking at developing partnerships maybe further away uh, across town or in the town over, that might actually also be just part of the redundancy that you build into your into your planning efforts so that if something were to occur to plan A, then you have plan B to rely on. But yeah, it's it's literally all about thinking you just kind of need that one thought to be put into your head for your brain to start. I, that's how I, my brain works. If, if someone just says one thing, I start to think about all of these other things that could be a ripple effect of that one thing and, you know, and, and start to look at, well, what, what would I do if that happened? And that's really, I'm hoping that this toolkit will start to lend itself to having people think that way. You know, what, what would we do if that happened? And then start to put that into a, a written plan. The partnership stuff, so key. As you said, the partners you normally rely on for different things, depending on what the emergency is, where they are, they may be in the exact same spot, right? So what do you do then? Yeah. One of my favorite soapbox issues always is going to be developing partnerships. Yet another reason why it is so critical to develop these ahead of time. Yeah, I mean, in, in the emergency management industry, we call that mutual aid. And really, it's looking at how, how do I help you when you need it? And how do you help me when I need it? That is very important. Looking at like, you know, a 2D or a 3D type of partnership where, you know, it's ones within your community, one's a little further out and one's maybe in another state or on the other side of the state. That is always a good rule of thumb, just because you just, you know, again, climate change, things are happening on a broader scale things that haven't happened in certain communities are now happening there. Um, you know, tornado season seems to be year round now, you know, like it just, it's, it's just a whole host of different things, changes to environmental concerns that will necessitates us to think about things a little bit more deeply and broadly than, than we did before. And then the other thing I just wanted to mention is, if you run a facility that has multiple, you know, animals, different types of runs, um, if your facility is significant in size, and I don't mean like hundreds of animals, but even like 20, 30, you might want to also consider looking at what mechanism are going to use to prioritize the order of animals evacuating. Because one of the things that I notice is that when an event happens, you don't want people stepping on each other to get to the same run or to get to the same, you know, walk through the same door to get the same animals. You want to maximize the efficiency of life saving. So you want to think about, you know, are we are we looking at dogs first? Are we going to do cats first? Are we looking at medical animals first? Are we looking at healthy animals first? Like, how are we uh, assigning the responsibility of moving animals out in a timely fashion so that we can maximize life saving and we can, you know, make sure that everyone's safe in doing so and nobody's tripping over each other. And that's actually one of the documents as well in the preparedness toolkit is talking you through that. 
how are you going to think about which order of, uh, you know, are you going right to left, back to front, that sort of thing. So you're thinking about that ahead of time and you're, you're even making assignments if you need to with staff and, and volunteers, if you have them, you know, that way when something happens, everyone kind of falls into place and gets as many animals out as possible, especially when it's an imminent threat. So there's a new show on Apple TV called Extrapolations. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a look into the future with a world that is significantly impacted by climate change. If not. I will say it feels very real and it's kind of scary and definitely has got me thinking about those what ifs, right? And, you know, again, you said it early on in this chat, the, the seasons, hurricane, tornado, wildfire, they're all getting longer. The storm's more severe Clearly, we're finding things like pandemics are real possibilities. Something in human nature about not wanting to think about those things, maybe, you know, it's far away, I just want to think about good stuff, I got a lot in front of me today, whatever. But the future is coming, whether you want it or not, and we're already starting to see it. It can be scary, but that doesn't mean not thinking about it means it won't happen, right? So a plea from me, please check out this toolkit and just make sure you and your organization, make sure you are ready. Yeah, I, you know, and I don't want it to be scary. That's, that's one of the reasons why we created it. So that is less scary. And we are here to help support groups that do want this, to walk them through it and talk them through it. So they're not as intimidated by it. But it is unfortunately a case of Murphy's Law. You know, I think I've mentioned this on a previous podcast. I'm a big fan of Murphy. So if you have the plan, you may not ever need it. But if you don't have the plan, you're going to be screwed because it's a matter of when, not if anymore. If a disaster is not impacted you wherever you are, it may just be a matter of time. So, you know, it's just better to have something in place and think through all of the different scenarios, put it together in this comprehensive template and work through it with your team. You know, rescues and shelters have been such a big part of emergencies in communities. They often deal with the fallback from emergencies with owner surrenders and being able to board animals that are displaced, collecting strays that come in. It's not like they're never impacted. It's just a matter of how are they going to deal with it if they themselves are directly impacted and still need to have this relationship with the community to help support them and, you know, again, this this toolkit is one of two pieces. The second piece will be coming out shortly as well, where you're preparing for your workplace. And once your workplace is prepared, now it's just a matter of going through that second toolkit that walks you through how to best uh, support your community in a disaster. And that's what we're really hoping to see more of, more efficient community support with shelters and rescues and the animal services industry as a whole. Uh, in those times of need. Well, of course, we'll let everyone know when that second piece is available, Sharon. But right now, in your show notes, you'll find a link to the toolkit. You can also go to bestfriends.org slash podcast. Click the link for episode 145. Sharon, thank you to you and your team for this Herculean effort, putting this amazing free emergency preparedness toolkit together for everyone to use. All right. Thanks, John. Thank you to Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Kim Clonch for helping to produce this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.